Welcome to Silent Symptoms, a black mental health podcast. I am your host, Kataso Fridge, a Florida-based therapist. This podcast focuses on mental health, stigmas, and social injustices that affect the black community. This podcast was created to bring awareness about mental health and can be used as an educational guide, but this is not to be used as a replacement for seeking help from a therapist. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hi, today on the show we have Sheena Tubbs. She is a licensed professional counselor, trauma recovery coach, and certified sex addiction therapist candidate based in Houston, Texas. Sheena specializes with treating women with intimacy disorders, trauma, and sexually compulsive behaviors or addictions. She is also trained in some of the leading models for trauma and emotional regulation, such as EMDR and DBT. Sheena hosts the podcast Love Junkie, which focuses on healing and recovery from codependency, love, and sexual addictions. She is also the founder of Black Girls Heal, a recovery community offering tools for black women to heal from the effects of childhood trauma, unhealthy relationships, and low self-esteem. Hi, today on the line we have Sheena Tubbs. Um, We're going to be talking about how childhood trauma affects um, relationships. So Sheena, thank you so much for being willing to feature on my podcast today. Can you tell them a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so by trade, I am a therapist. I am based out of Houston, Texas, and I focus on helping women heal from childhood trauma. And my niche in inside of childhood trauma is helping women who are attracted to unavailable partners or are unavailable themselves. And it's all based on just not really knowing themselves and knowing how to relate. And so I have been in the therapy field for about 10 years. And along the way, I just decided that this was my passion and focus. And I've been looking for ways to bring resources to women online. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that. But that's just a little bit about me. Awesome. Thank you so much. Because a lot of people don't actually know, you know, the importance of relationships and healthy relationships at that. So hopefully with this episode, they can learn a lot from you. So how important is it for someone to address their childhood trauma before engaging in an intimate relationship with someone? It's extremely important because it always comes up. Um, The ways that we grow up and the ways that we're treated, those are the blueprints for how we interact with people. So if we grow up in a house where there's a lot of yelling, where there's a lot of anger, where there's a lot of high emotion, we are exposed to that and we're affected. And so sometimes people think, Um, if they come out the opposite way, quote unquote, then they're, they're fine. Um, but you know, you can grow up in an angry household and then have the same anger issues, or you can grow up in an angry household, but then the way that looks for you is that you restrict what you want to say. You have a hard time communicating because for you, communication means that there's going to be a fight. And so you, uh, you prefer to avoid problems. You're prefer to just ignore them. And so we're constantly still operating in those unhealthy patterns. And until we build awareness and until we heal from them and actually um, just confront them by then we'll be able to actually make real change. Do you think that since, you know, 
most people like to, you know, engage in intimate relationships. They think that they're okay, especially in the black community. We do have a problem with confronting our issues head on. We always move forward like nothing has ever happened to us. So if these traumas aren't addressed, do you feel like they're still um, communicating as they did in childhood per se? Yeah, I think I think one of the one of the problems that we have in the black community is also one of the things that's promoted as one of our strengths, which mm-hmm. is our resilience. Yes. And our our ability and kind of our, our motto as a culture to just press on and stay strong. And if if we're religious, then we talk about praying through it and God will never give you more than you can bear and all these cliches that tell people that if you just keep repressing things and if you keep um, not thinking about it and just say a positive affirmation, things will get better, but that's not the case, right? right? This dysfunction keeps, keeps going on. Um, and there's no amount of, um, a positive mindsets that are going to change that unless we know exactly where the root cause is coming from. And as far as relationships and the emphasis on that, I think, I think already just, you know, people want to be in partnerships. People want to be attached. Even those people who say that they don't want partnerships or don't want to be attached, not all the time, but some, but most of the time they say that because there's a lot of fear of being hurt, um, a lot of fear of trusting people and being vulnerable and which all goes back to childhood trauma, right? That, that starts somewhere. There's no baby that comes out of the womb saying, I don't want to be touched and I don't want to be held. They, they had to learn that the world was unsafe. But I think going back to re- the relationships part, I think just, you know, especially now in our age of social media and um, you know, there's always a, a sitcom or a movie or something about relationships, you know, going back to religion and, and churches, you know, there's always sermons about coupleship and marriage and there's not really anything for singles. And so it's always in people's face that once you get in a partnership that you'll be full and whole, but really that's not the case at all. All you do is you just bring one more person into, into the dysfunction that you may already have. And it makes it that much harder. Right. And I always say that, you know, in those types of relationships, like when you come in, you come with your U-Haul, is it unpacked or you just have a U-Haul full of junk that you're just going to dump inside a brand new home, which is a new relationship. A lot of people don't want to address their trauma because they feel like, okay, I'm in a new situation. We're just going to work together and try to do it. But essentially that is the opposite that happens. They end up inflicting all their issues on somebody else, you know? Are there, any, are there any long-term effects related to unaddressed trauma stemming from childhood to adulthood? Oh, ab- absolutely. There's a lot. Um, you know, I mean, the bigger, the biggest ones are things like um, depression and anxiety that people experience and may not know the source. And the reason why people may not know the source is if they have a childhood where there's chronic stress or chronic trauma, then what happens is it all gets blurred together into something that's called complex PTSD to where your feelings get all mixed up. You don't really know, you know that you're feeling something, but you can't really place it and you can't even place where it started. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and so that just carries on into this um, feeling of dread, this feeling of something's going to happen, always being hypervigilant. And if you're not hypervigilant, then you might be someone who tries to, 
tends to numb out by getting really busy or by sleeping a lot or by drugs or by um, overeating or, you know, acting out sexually. And so, so those are two of the bigger ones that people talk about. But I think since we're talking about relationships, Mm -hmm. it looks like just continued unhealthy partnerships, which also passes down to your children as well. And so you're constantly not really getting your needs met and you're finding difficulty um, helping other people get their needs met as well. And so just loneliness and sadness, I mean, the list can go on and on and on. Yes. And I like what you said, because like we tend to forget about children being incorporated in the relationship. A lot of times people feel like, oh, the children are small. They don't know what's going on. And from experience, kids do know what's going around. Mom is not okay. If dad is not okay, then they're taking on their parents' trauma. Do you feel like parents need to be cognizant of their feelings around their kids because that's a difficult topic. A lot of people want to separate their relationship from their children. In essence, it's all one because you guys are living in the same household and they get pick up on the vibes you and your intimate partner have. Yeah, you know, for kids pick up every single thing that you say and you do. Mm -hmm. And even people who believe what I just said, even they think that that really starts around the time that maybe they're a little bit more verbal. So maybe like one or two, Mm -hmm. but it's even just as soon as they come out of the womb, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a famous experiment that, um, that shows just a set of babies and they're playing with their mothers and their mothers are cooing and playing back with them. And then the mothers are instructed to go flat in their face and in their affect. And you watch these babies, completely freak out because they're trying so hard to get their mother to engage with them. So they, they kind of play peekaboo and they kind of giggle and laugh and they're looking at them and trying to get them to engage. And when they don't, Mm -hmm. um, then the baby gets really distressed. And so children pick up the energy, like you're saying, and they pick up the trauma and they pick up the stress, even when they don't have words for it, Mm -hmm. you are your child's whole world. You are, you are like the lighthouse and, and everything around them. And so they look to you to see if things are good or bad. And they notice when mommy goes silent. They notice when mommy's shoulders go tense. They notice, they know that when dad's voice gets lowered, then there's going to be a problem that happens. Um, so kids are, kids know everything. You know, I, 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 when I'm talking with parents and they say, yeah, kids know more than we think, I correct them. I say, no, kids know everything that's happening in that house, mm-hmm. whether they tell you or not. <laughs> right. They know everything. They pick up all, all the vibes there. That's why they can act out everything that their parents do from school and some of the behaviors that are displayed is something they probably picked up from the home because mm-hmm. parents like to shift the narrative away from the kids and make it about themselves. No, my child doesn't know what's going on. We're okay, especially in domestic violence situation. I, don't, I know I'm straying a little bit, but in mm-hmm. domestic violence situation, um, because I have had cases where DCF was involved, they're like, oh, but why are my kids being taken away? They weren't getting hit, but the exposure to that can cause long-term trauma for the kids. And then in essence, they become their abuser or they get abused in the process, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if, of- if I may, I think mm-hmm. the main form of abuse that I see that affects everybody that doesn't get the, the impact and focus it needs 
is childhood emotional neglect. Yes. Because when people talk about trauma, they tend to think of things like physical abuse and sexual abuse, emotional and verbal abuse. But emotional neglect happens in the homes where both parents might be present, where people go to football games, where people are there bringing home money and there's food on the table. Mm -hmm. And it's really insidious because people grow up with this depression and sadness and anxiety and they feel really guilty about it. They're like, I don't know why I feel this way because I had everything I needed growing up. I grew up in a great household. But what emotional neglect looks like is when you're in pain, when you need a hug, when you need affirmation that your parent says, well, just suck it up. Oh. It looks like a parent who might yell and rage at you um, and maybe not say sorry later on or might joke about it later on. Right. Um, you know, and so it's any kind of not validation of your feelings and your needs. And so you grow up as an adult thinking that you, you have too many emotions, thinking that you're making a big deal out of everything having a hard time finding your voice, taking care of other people, following your own stress emotions, and then you don't feel like you can talk about it because you never had a chance to talk about it before. Yeah, that's very infamous in, like, the Black community. That's very relatable, I feel like, because, you know, some people grow up in that type of environment. And I know a couple of people who say that, you know, I've never had a hug, so I'm not going to hug my partner or I need more mm -hmm. intimacy. So it either heightens up the emotional need for that attention or it brings it down. So, you know, finding that balance and figuring it out in relationships is so difficult for most people. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely. What are some of the signs and symptoms of an unhealthy relationship? Um, romantic partnership or parenting? Romantic. Romantic. So I when I work with people, I focus on not being emotional, emotionally available. And so that will look like if I tell my partner that I need something or I try to set a boundary that they continue to break it that they might make fun of me for it. They might dismiss it. They might say, okay, I'll do that. But then they don't follow through with it. Um, it looks like emotionally available also looks like someone who may seem like the perfect partner, but they don't have time for you. So they're always, and it doesn't have to be something bad. It could be that, um, I mean, sometimes it is because they're acting out and cheating on you and having outside partners, but sometimes the mistress could be work. It could be, of course, that they have their own addictions. It could be if they volunteer all the time, if they're always traveling. It could be any and all those things, but something to where you don't get the time and emotional space that you need. Um, and then also on the other side, it could be that if you're that person who tends to be busy, who tends to be um, just always doing something and it's hard for you to open up. So unhealthy relationship looks like where there's one person who's giving more than the other person, where there's a lot of distrust, where there's a lot of criticism, um, kind of some resentment that happens. And then of course, all the problems that might come from there, which would be fights, which would be animosity, um, like revenge and pettiness that goes back and forth to try to one up and have the power and control, yeah. uh, which, you know, you're laughing because, because we see it all the time in social late. media. <laughs> yeah. It's relatable. And then we also see it all the time. And, you know, there's like prank wars and all that stuff. And yes, you know, that's, 
that's for entertainment, but in real life, like that's really detrimental. And that's what keeps a lot of us in dysfunctional dysfunction because those are our models. And yes. we see people who are like fighting for sport and then there's laughs and emojis and likes underneath it when really they're deteriorating the trust and the fidelity of the relationship. Yes. Especially in reality TV, that seems to be the narrative in most of the relationships. It's never anything healthy. What Mm -hmm. we see on the television is people arguing, fighting, dysfunction, cheating, getting back together, and not having stable relationships with each other, family members. Mm -hmm. So we're constantly fed this negative stereotype, especially the black community. I hate to say that because, you know, we have to be able to address these things, but showing it to the whole entire world, I don't know if it's real or fake whoever's watching will have that last opinion but what we always see is always a negative side of relationships and I know that there's some people who have shown us you know positive relationships on television but we're constantly being fed the negative do you Mm -hmm. think that in relationships like if we both have trauma can we collectively work together to correct ourselves in the relationship not separately Mm. Um, that's a good question that um, that nuance that you put at the end mm-hmm. my my belief and my stance is no okay. because part of what happens with childhood trauma mm-hmm. when you're voiceless and when as you become codependent and you depend on other people to fix you and to give you what you need. Mm. And so if I'm in a partnership and I'm trying to work on it with them and I'm asking for them to give me what I need, then am I just reinforcing that same over-dependence and it's difficult for me to heal on my own and give myself what I need. That's now a great perspective. Mm-hmm. So what it would look like, is it possible for two people who are highly traumatized to heal together? Absolutely. Because that's where you learn, you learn where your wounds come from. You learn what that ache is. You know, there's a phrase that goes, my wound matches your bite. And kind of like in a room of 100 people, I find the person who will hurt me the same way that my parents or other people hurt me. So I get the gift of trying to resolve um, the pain from my past. And so we absolutely can work this out together, but we have to do our own work. We, we learn that it's that we have ownership and power to move forward versus being victim to our past. Wow. Yeah, that's super, super interesting because, you know, from different perspectives, people want to work on it together or they're encouraged to do couples counseling. I don't know if that could be detrimental to the situation or helpful, especially when they have separate traumas that they brought into the relationship. That there's, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say there's a type of therapy called emotion focused therapy, which is a couple's model that Mm -hmm. is attachment based. And that's specifically built with the idea in mind that people's trauma is what's being enacted in the relationship. And so um, in a couple session, your therapist would help you learn how to hear what the other person is needing and validating them and making them feel safe and secure. And so that's definitely, that's definitely a model that is helpful. I think one of the reasons, you know, now I did start off as a marriage and family therapist, Mm -hmm. but the reason why I have kind of 
um, straight away from that. And now I just focus on women individually. Mm -hmm. Um, It's because I see how much better people can get when they have the space to figure it out themselves. Because even with, you know, the best, the best circumstances, you can get triggered in the session. Then we spend the whole time talking about that versus going to the reason why you were triggered in the first place so that you can point that out and figure out, okay, this is not my husband that's pissing me off. This is something that happened when I was six years old and I'm punishing him for it. So every time that occurs, you have that home base to know this is me and not them. And so there's no right or wrong. I've just learned that for me and for the ways that I like to do it. Um, I rather work with people individually versus in coupleship. That makes a lot of sense. So how can one learn how to be valued and respected in an intimate relationship? Is there such a thing? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think, I think people who have high self-esteem and people who have a high sense of worth that, that happens pretty much automatically because they're in relationships with people who respect them and value them. And if there's a person who does not, then they exit the relationship because they value themselves for someone who struggles with, um, with their self-esteem and tends to be more dependent. Like I was mentioning earlier for them, they need to figure out what they, what they are worth. They need to believe it themselves and start setting boundaries And once you set boundaries with people, you teach people how to treat you. Um, And then from there, you know, the relationship flourishes. And if you set boundaries with someone and they resent you for that, they punish you for it, they just don't do it, then that's a cue to you that it's time to leave. You know, when when you allow bad behavior, bad behavior just grows continues in relationships and a lot of times I think that um, what you said about being resilient you know as far as black people um, a lot of people think that oh our our grandmother stuck through it why can't you stick through the situation instead of setting those boundaries from the beginning and we're taught that you know bad behavior is okay as long as you can work through it with your partner it's okay if he cheats on you he's only on time and he's trying to work on it you know I need to be able to move on And I feel like we should be able to shift from that narrative and knowing that I'm setting these boundaries from the beginning, we have to have an understanding. And after that, you know, boundary has been broken, I need to be strong enough to be able to walk away from the situation because sometimes it doesn't get any better from where it started. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think the part about, you know, just passing down negative behaviors, I think the, the the key point is always whether or not both people are working. Because I do believe that people can recover after an infidelity. I do, I do believe that people make bad, bad decisions that um, really do just violate complete trust. But as long as that person is um, repentant and um, actually changes course and works on it, his or herself, mm-hmm. um, and is making moves because of his own or her own volition, then it's definitely possible. But if they're doing it just to appease you or just to buy time or just to, you know, then that's not a genuine change. And it's it's just going to happen again, unfortunately. That's sad. Would family, I mean, would family therapy or couples therapy be better or individual therapy? Because, you know, they both have their own issues they would have to work through because the relationship didn't go so well. So what would you recommend if that was your client going through something like that? I would recommend both. I would recommend that um, 
they both have their own individual therapist and then have a couples therapist because each of the system, there's something happening in each of the system and the, and one person, their insecurities and their triggers are activating. And then in the coupleship, um, they're playing off of each other and they need to find a way to communicate and to come together, Mm -hmm. um, as they're, they're going on their own journeys. So I think they, all parts are valuable for sure. Just so they could come together collectively and then be able to do their own work to move forward. Mm -hmm. Can unaddressed trauma create codependency or avoidance in a relationship? Mm -hmm. That's relationship. Yeah, that's exactly what um, trauma does. It's one of the two. If you have trauma, either you are going to struggle with boundaries mm-hmm. and really want someone to fix or save you or get a lot of value based on what people say about you. And this is even for those people who struggle with their self-esteem and think, oh, well, that's not me. The way it looks like for you is that you feel a lot of value by taking care of other people and by being um, kind of the savior and being the nice person in the group. Um, And if that wasn't there, how would you feel about yourself? You know, you probably feel pretty empty and alone. And then for the avoidance it's because, you know, I grew up in a household where I didn't have a voice where someone was probably very abusive and emotionally intrusive to me. So I learned that intimacy and connection equals emotional abuse and feeling overwhelmed. So now I don't know how to attach to people because I never had that model before and I don't really want to know it. Um, like it, it, people try to get too close and I, and I need to move away. So one of those two is going to happen if you have trauma every time. That is crazy. And a lot of times we just move on with life without, you know, having a direction because we feel like we're doing the best that we can, especially if we didn't have, you know, have our trauma addressed. You know, a lot of times I always say that, you know, in the black community, we really don't get therapy for things that happened to us before. We tend to avoid that. Do you think that if somebody gets therapy early on, if the parents realize, oh, there's some trauma that happened to the child, so we should engage them in therapy. Therapy, they're able to move forward as, as an adult? Absolutely. I mean, mental health is the same thing as physical health. So if someone catches uh, an illness early on versus waiting to the later stages, they're going to get better a lot faster and not have as many of the consequences and effects later on. You're, you're more, um, more plastic, more, more flexible, more um, able to adapt the younger you are, more open to new things, more able to trust even the most surly and rebellious teenager is only doing so because they really need someone to listen to them. And when that doesn't happen, then what in adulthood, it becomes solidified because people weren't there for them before. Um, and so, yes, absolutely. The earlier, the better. Yes. And it's all about finding somebody as a therapist that's compatible with, you know, with a person's needs, especially early on. It's kind of hard to be a therapist to young children. That has to be a niche and going into, you know, teenagers, everybody's trying to find themselves. So I always recommend start early and parents like to push things to the back instead of bringing it to the forefront so that these adults don't turn, these children don't turn into adults who needed that attention from the beginning. What advice do you have to offer to individuals struggling with unhealthy intimate relationships and family relationships? Cause that comes hand in hand as well. 
Yeah, so um, real quick before I answer that, um, for any parents who are listening um, and um, are thinking about their child in therapy, one of the things that I ran into when I was doing a lot of family therapy um, or a lot of teen therapy is that the issues always go back to the family, obviously, which is what we're talking about right now. Mm-hmm. And there was always, or yeah, for the most part, there was a lot of resistance from parents mm-hmm. to look at their own stuff because yeah. they brought their teenager to me to fix. And their teenager was the one with the problem and mm-hmm. their teenager was the issue. Um, and I understand that a lot of that is because, you know, we passed down our traumas. And so that defensiveness was like, well, there's nothing with me because they subconsciously they didn't want to go to that place. Right. Um, and then also just being a parent is so overwhelming. And so you're dealing with a child that's probably like either you're very scared because they're depressed and suicidal. You feel very helpless or they're acting on they're rebellious and they're cussing you out. And like, you feel really overwhelmed there. And then you have one more person coming and telling you that you did something wrong. You don't want to hear all that. Yep. And so I say that to validate the experience of being a parent, but then also to say that if the, if the system has something that's not working in it, that's making everybody not well, it's worth going to that place so that you can finally have peace. And if you have a therapist who says, hey, let's look at the way that you're talking to your child or let's look at the amount of hours that you're putting in or let's be in the room and just let your child have their say without interrupting them or punishing them or telling them they're, they're ungrateful, mm-hmm. then do that. Um, because you've already done everything else. So let's try to give this a chance. Um, let's see how this might work. Yes, um, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. Are you still interrupt you? Oh, no, you're good. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I agree with you 100%. You know, intergenerational trauma is the thing. And mm-hmm. a lot of times it's so difficult to put up that glass mirror and realize maybe there is something that I need to work on as a parent in order for my child to grow into a productive citizen, you know, a productive adult that won't be so traumatized. And, you know, I was doing the CPP model. I like it because, you know, it's just for younger children all the way from zero technically to the age five, you know, they always encourage the parent to be in the sessions for the small babies and to address their trauma talk about how were you traumatized and how does that relate to your child? Even at that small age, because a lot of times, like I said before, parents think my baby's so small, they don't know what's going on, but they say kids do carry trauma in their mm-hmm. body and they they are not, they're not desensitized to what's going on around you. So, mm-hmm. you know, parents need to incorporate, you know, themselves in family therapy to address their issue or do something separately because especially teenagers, it's so difficult. I, I find most of the time when I have clients like the teenage, the parents, I feel like they feel like giving up. They wait till the very end when it's almost that time when they're like, I'm going to kick them out. There's nothing I can do to help them out. I'm done. But then again, it's like, okay, how are you addressing your teenage a boy, your teenage girl? What happened to you? And why are you reacting this way? And they get offended. But no, it's not to you know, cause any issues with what you're doing as a parent. It's to try to make you realize we're looking at the whole picture, not just half. And we have to analyze why those behaviors are happening within your family system, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, 
Yeah. So going back to that other question, um, what advice would you offer people struggling with healthy relationships? I think we just kind of touched on it um, with this topic, but mm-hmm. intimate and, you know, regular family relationships. Um, I think, I think just being open to have the courage to, to say that there's a problem is a good first start. Mm-hmm. And to be open to looking for a solution that's different than what you you've already tried to do, than what your best friend told you to do, than what your mom, mm-hmm. your pastor, you know, all the whole list of people mm-hmm. that we go to versus going to a mental health professional mm-hmm. is so important. Um, and also, this is not um, this is not the question that you ask, but it's just something that comes to mind. I think because us as Black people. We're just now, you know, thankfully, like podcasts like yours and a lot of the other bigger ones like Therapy mm-hmm. for Black Girls and all that stuff are doing a whole lot to just reduce the stigma yes. of um, mental health in the Black community. But I think because we're so behind when it comes to not only accessing this as a resource, mm-hmm. but pay- paying for it, there's also a lot of pushback because at the end of the day, people see of some people not all people see therapists as just people who just talk for a living without like really any like professionalism mm-hmm. and skill which is why they feel like they can go to their mamas and their grandmothers and mm-hmm. their and their pastors and everybody else like it's all the same so why would I go to a therapist no. and you go to a mental health professional because they are just that because they have training because they can literally look at what's going on with you and diagnose you and give you a pathway out. Um, and and they are going to hold space for you and not judge you and not, um, shame you and just let you feel and do what you need to do. And that is worth the investment that is worth the investment of time is worth the investment of money um, to get your life back because you're really investing in getting your life back and you know and not spinning in circles trying to figure it out yourself and that stop asking please people if you are listening right now please stop asking for advice from people who have personal gain in your life your mom your pastor, I think the pastor one is almost as famous as, you know, asking your mom, sister, a friend, because mm-hmm. they feel like, you know, religion, we have to focus on this. I mean, I've had a couple of clients who, you know, were referred to me and then they're like, mm, I don't even want to, I call them for the consult. They're like, you know, I don't even want to get therapy from anyone. I'd rather go to my pastor. And I see that a lot in, you know, the black community. We rely on people who don't have specialized training, like mental health professionals, you know, pastors are trained in their lane to preach on Sunday, but not Mm -hmm. to provide mental health services. Now, however, that's not to say that some aren't, but for most part, they aren't. And they have personal Mm -hmm. gain because they know you personally and they want to see you do well. A therapist, we we want you to do well, but at the end of the day, there's no bias in the situation. The advice is not coming from a place of, oh, you know, Rodney did this to me. So, you know, you should handle it like this because every situation is different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And pastors have trauma. Yes. So it's not even just personal gain. Mm-hmm. What happens a lot is that they pass on their own bias and their own beliefs that they're able to support via scripture, whether the scripture is like accurate or not, that they're using, you know, it's based on their own perspective. Mm-hmm. And so they're encouraging you to do a broken behavior that was well-intentioned and well-meaning, mm-hmm. but it's still not healthy. 
Exactly. And, and then you're stuck there because the pastor told you to. And then on top of that, you feel shame and guilt because that means your faith isn't strong enough. And that means that you're not doing it right. And it's just multiplied on top of everything else. Yes. And like I wrote on my uh, podcast page, I was like religion versus um, therapy. Those two can coincide. That doesn't mean that if you go through a therapist, you don't have faith. That doesn't mean that at all. This is mm-hmm. just saying that you're taking care of your mental health. You feel like that's important and you can still have faith in between. That doesn't say that negate being a Christian, Muslim, or whatever the case may be. This is just saying I have to focus on something greater. I have to, you know, lean on someone or lean on my therapist and mm-hmm. go beyond just the religion thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So don't think your faith is being tested in this situation. So Sheena, how can people reach out to you to find out more about your efforts and what you're doing right now in, uh, you know, the community as a mental health professional? Can you tell them a little bit about that? Yeah, so I've created my own platform to help just build accessibility as far as um, support for childhood trauma. And it's through, um, it's named Black Girls Heal. And it's a website and it's an online community. And there's a core course called the Trauma Recovery School mm-hmm. where I literally walk women through um, going through their family histories, different skills they can use to help with triggers, rebuilding their self-esteem, rebuilding boundaries, breaking down um, problems and relationship issues, getting practice with that and online coaching. And I created it for two reasons. Well, actually, maybe three. I mean, the Mm -hmm. first reason is when I was working on this stuff for, um, I call it love addiction when women are in these perpetual unhealthy relationships. Um, Because what happens is not... I think most people can relate to having one really toxic relationship where they get caught up and stuff. But someone who's a love addict is every single person they meet is it just turns out in destruction and they have a hard time. They, they can't break that pattern. And mm-hmm. so when I was um, helping women with that, I found and knowing that it goes back to childhood trauma, there was nothing for women of color. It's nothing for black women. And so I was like, okay, tell I'm me about create- it. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm going to create my own. Yeah. And then the second thing was, um, you know, I love being a therapist. I would imagine that you love being a therapist. And at the same time, I feel like there's a lot of information. There's mm-hmm. a lot of skills that we can't give people because we're limited to 40 or 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to get a, give people a platform to where they um, could get access to support outside of that small window um, Mm -hmm. that they could get skills that they could use because even when we utilize that time, a lot of time it's just been talking and holding space. And so we don't have time to say, okay, do this when this happens because, you know, we're we're crying and and that crying is great, but it doesn't really help you for the other 23 hours. (laughs) And so to to have people have the full session and they have to be done after that. Yeah. 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 And like people are in need. So to give people something to do for those other 23 hours. Mm -hmm. And then also just my mission is I just feel like, um, I feel like access to mental health is harder than it needs to be. And I feel that way for like, um, physical health too, just like the medical system. And if I could give people a program where they can have everything that they would need to help supplement therapy or while they're looking for a therapist, that's what I wanted to do. So people can find me. That's a long way to answer. People can find me <laughs> on 
<laughs> the website is called blackgirlsheal.org or on Instagram at blackgirlsheal underscore um, and also on Facebook at Black Girls Heal. And if they want to know more about just the love addiction part, um, they can find me at sheenatubbs.com or on Instagram at sheenatubbs. That is awesome. Thank you so much for trying to, you know, advance the efforts of black women. And yes, we do heal. And I like that name so much because that's very relatable. Like you said, the resources are not there for us black women and, you know, coming around. And that's part of the reason why I created this podcast, because I felt like black mental health wasn't, you know, an option for a lot of people. It wasn't talked about. Everybody was just going through the motions to learn how to get through things day by day. Mm -hmm. And me, you and other black women who are therapists are the face to show that, you know, you don't have to have the standard um, picture of what a therapist looks like because mm -hmm. we all have our own little picture of what a therapist looks like. So there mm -hmm. are people out there who can, can relate to you, who, who will support you in the way that you need. So always find a therapist that you're in sync with, no matter what the color, no matter what they look like, somebody that can understand where you're coming from. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you so yep. much. Sheena for being here and teaching us and you know providing us with all the information so Sheena told you guys where to find her thank you so much for tuning into silent symptoms the black mental health podcast thank you very much thank you for tuning in please be sure to like share and subscribe to our podcast you can catch us on anchor and all your favorite media streams follow us on instagram Facebook and YouTube at Silent Symptoms Podcast. Let us know if you have any feedback or topics that you would like to hear. 